0: So I, I think I'll start like this. I saw a, a preacher do this that I thought was really, really cool, and it's actually, it's been a pneumatic device that's stuck in my mind, um, but she is far cooler than me, and so I won't do it justice, but we're going to try it. You ready to try something? All right, here we go. Here we go. These are they that follow the Lamb that follow the Lamb that follow the Lamb and these are they that follow the Lamb wherever He may go. These are they that follow the Lamb that follow the Lamb that follow the Lamb and these are they that follow the Lamb wherever He may go. And these are they that follow the Lamb that follow the Lamb that follow the Lamb these are they that follow the Lamb wherever He may go. I like this kid right here. I don't know who he is but he's awesome he was on it I just want you to know I'm sorry don't look at him and embarrass him but he but he was that was that was fantastic let's try again all together ready let get, get the snaps because we're white so it's hard it's so hard I, I'm already off I'm already off stop stop everybody stop I've got to start over These are they that follow the lamb, that follow the lamb, that follow the lamb. And these are they that follow the lamb, wherever he may go. And these are they that follow the lamb, that follow the lamb, that follow the lamb. And these are they that follow the lamb, wherever he may go. And I hope that infects your brain and you are not able to get rid of it. (laughs) Revelation, chapter 14, verse 1 says this. And I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of thunder. And the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists. And their harps, they were singing a song, a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders and no one, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and for the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, and they were blameless. These are they that follow the Lamb, that follow the Lamb, that follow the Lamb. These are they that follow the Lamb wherever He may go. My favorite following story, shout if you got green on today. That was so pathetic. You weren't ready, Mitch. I know you weren't ready. So here we go. Shout if you got green on today. Yes, St. Patrick's Day. I love St. Patrick's Day, and I I imagine that when we say St. Patrick's Day, we sort of are thinking green. We're thinking uh, green beer. You might be thinking of shamrocks. You might be thinking of leprechauns. None of this has to do with St. Patrick. Um, <laughs> hopefully that's obvious. Uh, but it has kind of infected the whole thing. But the story of St. Patrick is quite a lovely story. I don't know how many of you know it, but it begins like this. He was 16 years old and was kidnapped from his native country of England and brought to Ireland to be a slave. And there he served for several years as a slave, tending, uh, tending sheep. And his family back in England was quite devout, but, but Patrick had not... Um, become a Christian. He, he hadn't decided to follow the Lamb. And so it is in his slavery that his mind goes back to the faith of his youth, to, to what he remembered growing up. And he actually writes this. So you, we're going to actually read his words here. Or I'm going to read his words and you can follow along. Uh, this is actually um, Bray's head. I took this picture when I was in Ireland um, and we can't see the bottom. And I apologize for that. That's probably my mistake. But this is his writings. He says this. It was there that the Lord opened my awareness of my lack of faith, even though it came about late. I recognized my failing, so I turned with all of my heart to the Lord my God, and and he looked down on my lowliness and had mercy on my youthful ignorance. He guarded me before I knew him, and before I came to wisdom and could distinguish between good and evil, he protected me and consoled me as a father does a son." That is why I cannot be silent, nor would it be good to do so. About such great blessings and such a gift that the Lord so kindly bestowed in the land of my captivity, this is how we can repay such blessings when our lives change and when we come to know God, to praise and bear witness to his great wonders before every nation under heaven. Now... It's something to think about these words being, uh, perhaps not authored, but at least um, begin to be born in him while he is actually a slave. But this is what he has to look back on. He reflects back to his time there, and he says to himself, this is where God spoke to me. This is where the truth occurred to me. It was in the darkest and lowest place that as he wrote in that, um, in that previous paragraph. He, he wrote that God... Tr- protected him and comforted him like a father to a son, which is an interesting idea to think about when you think about somebody who's a slave. Of course, you might know the story. He does eventually leave Ireland and escapes and comes back and all of that, but it's quite an interesting thing to think about what it is that started us on this journey. Or maybe you're here today and you don't have a lot of faith at all And the journey is still kind of in your mind. Do I even start it at all? Um, The journey is a mysterious one, it's a troubled one. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, it is fraught with valleys and pitfalls, mistakes, windy roads, temptations to turn back. And yet, we keep walking. These are they that follow the Lamb, that follow the Lamb, that follow the Lamb. These are they that follow the Lamb wherever he may go. Revelation 14.1 says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. There is probably no single topic I have thought less about, especially as it is connected to Scripture, than foreheads. Except you look ridiculous without them. (laughs) We need foreheads. They were a gift from God to keep us from looking silly. In Revelation, however, they have a deeper meaning. In Revelation, uh, throughout... In fact, let's do this because we're not going to be able to pay attention. Uh, Ignore this for a moment. We'll get to it. Uh, But we can't leave forehead guy... (laughs) Which is just Paul gets a lot of really crazy uh, requests from me. Just so you know, yesterday at about noon, I said, "Hey Paul, can you Photoshop me a guy without a forehead?" (laughs) And he's like, "I can in a couple hours." He's a saint. (laughs) Anyway, uh, in Revelation, foreheads actually a really important part of the narrative. Throughout the book, the beast is trying to put his name on the foreheads of everyone on the planet. He it's so important in fact that he attaches punishments to those who do not take his sign or his name. And yet throughout it as well the people of God have God's name marked on their forehead as well. The forehead is prominent right you see it it's visible everybody knows there's a moment in time in revelation where it's finally clear that everyone has been separated and on your head it shows who do you follow? Who do you follow? There's another story about four heads in the Bible uh, from Second Chronicles chapter 26. And much like uh, uh, St. Patrick, the main character Uzziah has a tragedy befall him when he is 16, he is anointed king of Israel. And we read about him that he's actually a good king, which doesn't happen that often if you read your Bible. Most of the, the stories are actually, um, as one musician I heard one time say, most of our stories were scared to explain. And I think it's right, because most of our heroes are shady characters, which is why we fit in so well. Can I get a witness? <laughs> uh, but, but this character here seems to stand out uh, immediately. He says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to the the ways of his father. and verse 5, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who is a prophet. We have his writings in our Bible. Who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And that's exactly what you read. If you read the rest of the story, he defeats his enemies and they pay him tribute. Uh, he builds a mighty army. He fortifies cities. In fact, it talks about him developing engineering programs so that they can build better weapons of war to protect their land. Right? He's just a rock star. He's nailing it. And then what always happens when you're a rock star, pride. Pride comes bubbling up in him, and he forgets from whence all this blessing came. And this is sort of where the story comes, this, this pride comes into him, and, and he gets it into his mind that he wants to go and he wants to sacrifice in the temple. The, the temple is usually uh, set aside for the priests. The priests do all the different sacrifices, but Uzziah wanted to be the one that lit uh, the incense in the morning, and so he takes his bowl of incense and he goes off to the temple even though it is not his place to do so. And I, Let's put a pin in that for just a second and talk about how God works because it occurred to me, I was thinking about how God works in our lives. And I think it's a, lot, it's a lot like riding a bike. How many of you remember riding a bike when you were a kid? I mean, when you are a kid, like not just the experience of like, like before, when you had like that nine-year-old energy, right? Your knees didn't hurt. You wouldn't rather be taking a nap like those days, right? And you'd hop on your bike. And I have like, I can imagine the stretch of road, my favorite stretch of road right now in Greenville, Michigan. Uh, and, you, and you could just, you would just get on there and, and imagine you're, you're on your bike and the sun's on your back, that warm summer, that like one day of sun we get in the month, and that's on your back, and like the wind's on your back too, like it's, it's like kind of helping your push, and you're just flying and you feel like vital, like alive, free. Can you put yourself there? Do you remember that? Is that an experience you had? If you could put yourself there and think about all of the things that are kind of coalescing in that moment. Your, your, the breath in your lungs, the, the energy in your body, the, the muscles that are working, the sun, the wind, all of that is sort of come together in this one moment of life, and it 's so beautiful and I think about that moment, and what could we do with that moment? Well, we could use that moment to ride home and uh, sit down on the couch and just watch TV. We could think in that moment, man. Look at me. I'm so great. I'm so strong. I'm so mighty. But then you meet that really big hill, which I also can remember quite well. And you remember all of a sudden, oh, that's that's not all me. Or you can be that person, that kid that just like leans into it, and you just thank God and you participate, right? Like all of these things that you didn't do the sun, you didn't make the moon, you didn't make the muscle, you didn't make the wind, you didn't make the bite, you didn't make any of that. All of this grace and gift that's in this moment, and you're participating in it, and you're just. Going And it's just alive. Isaiah forgets that he's following. He thinks he's leading. He thinks it's him. And what happens is as he goes into the temple, says that 80 priests, men of valor, stand in his way and say, this is not for you to do. And the scriptures tell us, now he had a censer in his hands. It's like a bowl that he had filled with uh, incense that he would light and and make that kind of sacrifice in the temple. And he became angry with the priests. Rage fills him because of his pride. Like if, if, if anyone should have the right to make a sacrifice in the temple, it's me. Me, the one that God has blessed. Me, the one that's brought this kingdom uh, to its to its feet and given it power and authority and, and and defeated our enemies. Me, me, me. And then suddenly, leprosy breaks out on his forehead, and everyone sees it and they're horrified by it and they immediately usher him out. Now, if you don't know what leprosy is, that's all right. Leprosy could be anything from eczema and he just needs a little uh, jergens, <laughs> or it could be a, a contagious and fatal disease. But neither uh, eczema or the disease are the point. The point is, what was in him was exposed. It was always there. But it just came out. And now everyone can see it. And I think that there's a good point to this story to say that whatever is within us will come out of us. We can only bury things for so long. Skeletons eventually fall out of the closet because you forget to close the door. Something comes out. And it becomes evident all of a sudden that Uzziah was not following the lamb anymore. And there's this really heavy line that we get in verse 21. It says this, and King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house and he was excluded from the house and the presence and the worship and the truth of the Lord The forehead marks him before everyone, and now we know who he follows. The great prophet Bob Dylan put it best, right? You got to serve someone. And Revelation asks us a question. It also reveals an answer. The answer reveals that you have to serve someone and gives us some of the qualities in which we notice who serves whom. But the question is, of course, who will you follow? Who will you follow? One of the things I've learned about the beast, this is just a side note, one of the things I've learned about the beast and how he likes to mark our heads is that he's, const, const, he's constantly tricking us into thinking we're leading. You ever notice how the, our culture works like that? Like, be different. Be an individual. Be a rebel. Just like everyone else. Right? I remember that in my youth. We were like, we're all trying to rebel against everything. We end up looking the same, don't we? We try so hard to be different and we just end up being just like everyone else. Like you, You're, you're going to follow someone. And the, que- and the question is, are you going to recognize that you are following and that the spirit that the lamb is leading? Or are you going to be tricked into thinking you're not following at all when you truly are? That's the question. Verse 2, I heard a voice in Revelation 14, verse 2. I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of thunder. The voice that I heard was like the sound of harpists playing their harps. And aren't those kind of like, don't they seem different? Like you've got roaring thunder. You You ever been woken up like right out of sleep, like it's boom so loud the house shakes? Like take that and then put that with, anybody ever been to the ocean? The waters are hitting the rocks. This kind of crashing of water. And then how many of you have ever heard a harpist? What? Oh, yeah? Oh, you need to call her up. This would have been awesome. She could have started playing or something. Dush. Dush. That's very cool. Anyway, um, those two things seem very different, and yet they are together the same. They're all these voices coming out, just capturing our imagination. It's so loud. It's so thunderous. It's so intense, and yet it has this sweet refrain to it. And that song is a song that no one knows. You get exclusive content if you follow the Lamb. You don't have to subscribe to the Patreon page. It's just, It's free. They have the name of God, and they have the song of God, and they did not either put the name of God on their forehead, nor write the song. It's been given to them. And they have embraced it as a gift, and they are living in that gift, and they are singing that gift. There's a picture of a triumphal, basically kind of a triumphal entry, this this march that's heading forward. And I know 144,000 doesn't sound immense to us, but if you remember, population levels in the ancient world were not like they are today. Like, that's... Immense. That's like the population of a, of like bigger than probably the population of Jerusalem at the time. It's huge. And one of the things that we sort of do when we get into Revelation is we forget that it's a story and we forget that stories use metaphor. And you might get hung up on, well, who's the 144,000 and why is it only male virgins that seem to get in there, right? You're missing the point. These are metaphors drawing us into the story, asking us to think deeply. It's giving us a picture of the whole people of God using multiples of 10 and 4. In massive multiples of 10 and 4, 10 meaning the completion and 4 meaning human, we have the people of God drawn together. And this image of virginity is simply to point out the purity of the people. This is a people who have been bought by the blood of the lamb and the Lamb who has rescued them from the kingdom of darkness and and, and brought them together and taught them a song and written his name upon them and made them his own. And he says, follow me, and they follow. Did you forget it? These are they that follow the Lamb, that follow the Lamb, that follow the Lamb. These are they that follow the Lamb wherever he may go. St. Patrick, as we talked about, as I mentioned, he, he escaped he escaped um, England, or Ireland, and he, he goes on some journeys, and he becomes a preacher, and there's a lot that you can kind of get uh, about him and his life and his story, but I want to point out what brings him back, what brings him back to Ireland, and here's a quote again from his, from his writings. He talks about this dream that he had, this dream that he had of a man coming from Ireland, and his name was Victorious, Victoricus, I can't even pronounce it right. And he carried many letters, all these letters, and he gave him one. Uh, I read the heading, The Voice of the Irish. As I began the letter, I imagined in it, in that moment, that I heard the voice of those very people who were near the wood of Foucault, Uh, which is beside the Western Sea, and they cried out as in one voice, we appeal to you, holy servant boy, come and walk among us. I like that line, come and walk among us. These lost people, and we know this about Ireland at the time, it was deeply pagan, they worshipped trees and and nature um, led by Druids, often lots of human sacrifice, all kinds of things that were going on there. They did not know the lamb, and they are crying out, to St. Patrick in this vision, come and walk amongst us. Isn't it interesting they use that word? Not preach to us. Do you notice that? But walk amongst us. You are going to walk among your people this week. I don't know who your people are. Maybe it's the little ones and you're you're home with them. Um, Maybe it's work, maybe it's school. You're gonna walk this week among the people. And the people are crying out, their need to know grace, their need to know the Lamb, and you are the one that they will witness following him. How well will you follow him this week? Will it be clear and plain? Will it be muddied with other commitments and other priorities? Or will you walk among your people Like Jesus' name is tattooed on your forehead. Not because you've tattooed Jesus' name on your forehead. Or because you're wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm a Christian. But because they see in you life. And grace. And joy. And peace. And when they're angry and lash out, you respond gently. And when they're frustrated and gossiping, you react with kindness. Will they see you follow the Lamb? As we have this vision of these, this finally transformed and perfected church, it says that these are the ones who have not defiled themselves. They followed the Lamb wherever he goes. They've been redeemed as the first fruits, the very first of the harvest. It's hard for me to imagine that because I've never lived in, in, in too much of, of that kind of thing, but... The first, the first gathering of goodness from the world. That's who they are. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they were blameless. We might render this more, more concretely, something alike. No falsehood was found among them. This to me is an important separation, because they are not talking about lies. Like, like Laura, does this make my th- does this tie make me look fat? To which she'll say, No, you look great, baby. Like. not talking about lies like that. We're talking about the falsehoods we live in. And we live in so many falsehoods. And the problem so frequently with us, and this is something I've been learning on my own spiritual journey, especially recently I've been thinking a lot about what it is that draws me to temptation and to sin. But there are these sins that crop up in my life and I will be a great and good and noble and wonderful Christian and I will say, no, I will not do that sin. But then it crops up tomorrow. And I might say no again, and then it crops up the next day. Is anybody? Am I speaking to anybody? Because there's a deeper question at work. The question isn't, you know keeping just the rule and saying, no, I'm not going to be a bald-faced liar. I mean, that, there is some truth. If you say, I want, I'm going to follow the lamb, and yet you, you practice business in such a way that you take advantage of people. If you're, if you're, un, if you're a liar when it comes to business and you want to say you're following the lamb, you're, you're not, you're a liar, right? You aren't following the lamb. But there's depth, there's more depth there than just that. The question is, why am I tempted to lie? Like, what is it about me That draws me to want to be false about who I am or what I love. Why do I want? uh, Why am I pulled away by lust or greed? Or there's something underneath, something underneath us that draws us to this. These are important questions. What I see in this, what I see in this vision, this vision of. This vision of this church that's been perfected is a group of people who have no more lies left. There's no more falsehoods about who they are. They've embraced the grace that God has given them so fully. They've embraced one another and how they are individually. They have come together in this moment to learn the song and to follow the Lamb. And the question that Revelation, I think, is asking, because this was a letter to a church Right? It's a story written to a church. There were Christians 2,000 years ago who held this in their hand and read these words and they began to ask themselves the very same question, am I following the Lamb? Am I following the Lamb? Will I be counted among that number? As the band comes up, we begin to sort of close this down, asking a practical question for the week. What is it you are going to do with what you have read and what you have heard what will, you do with, uh, what will you do with the lamb? I really love if we can go all the way back to St. Patrick's quote. He said this. This is how we can repay such blessings. When our lives change and we come to know God, we can praise and bear witness to his great wonders before every nation. These are they that follow the Lamb, that follow the Lamb, that follow the Lamb. These are they that follow the Lamb wherever he may go. These are they that follow the Lamb, that follow the Lamb, that follow the Lamb. These are they that follow the Lamb wherever he may go. Let's stand.